Hi everyone and welcome to Uncomplicated, a podcast for education professionals, MAT leaders, school staff, teachers and anyone who's interested in what's going on in the world of education technology. I'm Tom Kershaw, Education Market Specialist at IRIS and today I'll be picking the brains of Matt Brown, Sales Manager Every. Hi Matt. Hi Tom. Um, so I'm really quite excited about this Matt, so you, you know I've got a, a background in teaching, I was a teacher for 11 years and uh, had a very large sixth form, um, so any opportunity uh, to chat about things going on in the education sector, I, I relish. Um, but unfortunately, it's not a great outlook um, at the moment. Um, so you know, there's there's plenty of competition to hire in uh, in the teaching sector, um, and there's quite a, a nationwide teacher shortage at the moment. Um, you know, we hear alarming stats like a third of teachers leaving within five years of qualifying, and you know, the government's pledged more support for initial teacher training and 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 initiatives like £30,000 starting salaries should help but you know what's your opinions on why schools are currently struggling so much with recruitment? Uh, I think personally there's a a few different issues Um, I I think firstly uh, having robust HR systems to kind of really help and support schools and trusts actually have uh, consistency around their um, sort of recruitment process as we often speak to uh, multi-academy trusts in my team that you know if there's five schools across the trust there's potentially five different recruitment uh, journeys that obviously candidates go through um, obviously making sure that candidates are, are sort of engaged throughout the process so that obviously you know that there's positive word of mouth you know should be the successful or not successful for the role so that it doesn't damage any of the the schools uh, or multi-academy trust reputations etc uh, and then also I think um, the, the other thing that's kind of impacting schools that we speak with is sort of the cost of recruitment. You know, there's numerous education-specific recruitment platforms, but they are uh, sort of, uh, from what our customers tell us, becoming increasingly more expensive, and obviously the impact on uh, that that has on budgets, etc., is uh, obviously further straining schools in trying to sort of attract talent and, you know, have successful recruitment experiences. It's interesting what you say about multi-academy trusts there, because I, I suppose... With the direction of travel towards a fully trust-led system, there's only going to be more challenges there to try to, to make that recruitment process more consistent across trusts. But I suppose it's a, a function of where we are in that journey at the moment that um, it differs between schools. Because as you say, having an HR system that, that could cover that recruitment across the trust is, is surely a better way forward. But I'm also interested about what you say there um, in terms of education-specific recruitment companies um, mm. and the costs that are involved there. You know, what can schools do to explore other avenues there? So some of the schools and, and trusts that we speak to, they're looking more at the government websites uh, to kind of make sure that they're posting vacancies on there, uh, as well as sort of local authority uh, maintained websites to kind of making sure that they're still posting vacancies uh, in education-specific platforms, but ones that are a little bit more cost-effective than some of the other uh, sort of larger uh, education-specific uh, platforms uh, and companies because, like I say, obviously an increasing demand and in, therefore the increasing costs on you know, recruiting through those companies. Okay. Um, and I think before we go on to talk about um, you know, professional development and ensuring that teachers stay, um, what would be your top tips for schools preparing for that period? Uh, I think for me, uh, like we said earlier with multi-academy trusts, you know, if they're a newly formed trust, they might have uh, sort of numerous different recruitment uh, sort of strategies across the, the numerous academies uh, in the trust, making sure that they're kind of aligning best practice, making sure that they've got robust, you know, trust-wide centric processes in place, making sure that, you know, that the trust central team have full visibility of all the candidates so that, you know, if a candidate phones up for 
um, you know, sort of an update on where they are in the process, etc. They can kind of give that um, sort of information, you know, quickly and efficiently to making sure that candidates are feeling sort of that their uh, application is valued and making sure that they are consistently, um, you know, given all the updates so they know exactly where they are, where they stand, you know, because like I say, it's a very competitive market at the moment. Uh, and if you know, we're not getting back to candidates quickly and promptly, you know, they could be snapped up by other schools and academies. So we, obviously I think speed and efficiencies is definitely key as well as good communication uh, across the, the schools and trusts that we speak to, certainly. And I know traditionally it's been individual schools who have been carrying out their own recruitment. What, what, what's your opinions on a multi-academy trust recruiting for the trust rather than, say, the school? Because there seem to be pros and cons to that. Yeah, I think, uh, again, I was speaking to a, sort of a, a multi-academy trust about this. Um, I just don't want to sort of uh, to be diplomatic, but they were saying that if uh, the trust actually does the, the recruitment uh, process uh, centrally, then they can kind of make sure that they're putting the right uh, candidates um, into the right schools rather than sort of, um, you know, schools because of the short, sheer demand. They obviously want to fight for their own school. Uh, and obviously if you can manage those processes centrally, it makes sure that we get the right talent into the right areas and making sure that, you know, like I say, you have got that consistent standards across each of the academies. And I think sometimes if you sort of deal with it in isolation across the academies, like I say, it's the central teams don't have visibility and aren't aware of it so they're not able to kind of converse with candidates directly to make sure that they've got that communication piece and also the fact that you know it might be that they'd be better suited to a, a, a sort of another uh, school within the trust because it's you know due to their sort of better location or, or sort of more befitting of their experience etc um, so I think for me I'd probably be an advocate more for uh, sort of centralised recruitment but you know like I said there is always the benefit of you know individual academies you know they've, they've obviously got uh, a lot of experience so making sure that the, the trust central team are kind of working with those academies to share best practice and make sure they've got a process that works centrally you know for each individual academy as well. No thanks for that I think it's it's worthwhile to have your opinion on that because it's certainly an issue that that trusts are going to be facing in, in the coming years and I'm sure some will go down that centralisation route. Yeah. Um, so Think about keeping talent now, because obviously retention is a is, is a key thing. We don't want to uh, to lose those teachers that we spent ages trying to recruit. Mm. Um, how do we ensure teachers stay? You know, what what role do training, development, support? What role do they play, do you think, in, in keeping teachers? Yeah, I think for me, is kind of also absence plays a part, which I'll, I'll come on to in a moment. Okay. I think from a training and support performance uh, side of things, you need to make sure that we're consistently investing in education, uh, making sure that we're actually giving the teachers the support that they need to kind of help with that future development so that they've got that full career progression. Because I think, like you said at the start of the podcast, Tom, that... Um, you know, sort of people leaving the industry within sort of five years in some circumstances and potentially, you know, investment in their um, sort of well-being as well as obviously their um, development within the role is crucial. And I think from, again, some of the schools that I speak to, they don't necessarily have robust sort of um, support tools in place. You know, it's uh, sort of a best endeavours approach and I think sort of having a, a robust uh, sort of training and development system so you can kind of see how much investment you've actually given to each of your teachers so you show that you're actually really investing in their future and their career is crucial. So yeah if I just delve into two of the areas that you've mentioned there so firstly with the with the progression what what do you see certainly as multi-academy trusts start to grow in size what do you see as the role for hopping between schools within um, a multi-academy trust in the in the in career progression for teachers it, it can, can 
can you see where where you think that might be going? I, 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 yeah, I, I suppose I, I kind of approach it from sort of numerous different angles. I suppose from an absence point of view, firstly, um, I think it'd be very good if um, sort of multi academy trusts um, have like. Um, for lack of a better term, like floating teachers that, like you say, work across a hub of, of multiple schools, etc. Because there's some secondary schools that I've speak to that they can spend up to £400,000 a year on supply teacher costs, etc. And yeah. sometimes it's cheaper just to have sort of, you know, teachers actually that can float between the schools. So they've not completely like a, a sort of a supply teacher coming in sort of for the fresh face side of things they've already got that relationship with some of the school some of the students etc so I think that would make for a smoother transition it's also you know more cost efficient uh, as well as obviously you know giving um, you know more consistency for, for the pupils that obviously across those schools and trusts as well. Yeah, I, no, I think that's a really interesting one. I mean, I, I think as well for, for early career teachers, the possibilities of setting up a program where you can work in multiple contrasting settings within the same trust, mm. that's that's an incredible um, program that you could put together for your early career teachers there. And, and you only have that opportunity as part of a slightly larger trust. Yeah. Um, the second point I wanted to go into was, was the well-being. And I, and I know we, we recently um, did a, did a pod, um, not a podcast, sorry, and a, um, a webinar together mm. um, that was focusing on teacher well-being. So I, I just wonder there as well, you know, you, you said that sometimes there's a, what did you say, an endeavour approach um, rather than mm. necessarily a strategic approach. Well, you know, what sort of things would you say um, should be part of a good teacher well-being strategy? Or in fact, all staff in, in education um, well-being strategy? Yeah, I mean, like you said, we did a, a sort of a separate webinar uh, recently about um, sort of mental health, well-being, etc. in education. And I think, you know, like we said, we, we've seen some uh, teachers kind of leave the profession within five years for, for numerous reasons. But I think, you know, well-being, it is obviously a very... Um, challenging job very rewarding job but ultimately still challenging as well so i think we also need to make sure that we're acknowledging you know the the sort of support of our people from not just from a, a career development point of view but also from a well-being and, and supportive point of view that you know like you say if our early careers teachers you know are they getting the right sort of well-being and, and sort of support to help them you know with their career so that obviously we can retain talent we can develop talent and, and also look at it from like I say that absence point of view and, and uh, from a well-being point of view that i think think there are numerous different strands that we do need to sort of think about when we are talking to uh, sort of schools and trusts that I'm sure uh, are issues that they're kind of starting to think about and combat now and some of the more um, larger multi-academy trusts that we speak to are starting to really uh, have processes put in place but I just I don't know how that necessarily filters down to every school you know I think mm. well-being is becoming more of a topic but I think um, you know there's probably still some work to do from some of the, the schools and trusts that we speak to. Exactly, and I think it's a, it's a cultural shift, isn't it? And I, mm. I think one of the things that we talked about on the, on the webinar um, was leadership, sort of walking the walk um, and demonstrating the habits that, that are healthy working habits that um, all of the staff within the school they they would want to be doing. And, mm. But it, yeah, it certainly isn't an easy one. Um, You've talked a little bit about how schools um, and mats can make their recruitment processes um, easier. Mm. But I wonder about more from a strategic point of view. So maybe preparing for upcoming vacancies. I mean, I wonder what, what you think that the mats could do there, or, or maybe at the advantage of a, a corporate recruitment process, if you like, mm. and, and viewing your, your staff as a whole across the mat, where, where you think that might be going. Yeah, I think it's also um, sort of understanding sort of your staff. Like, for example, um, 
you know, in our sort of HR platform, you know, if you're aware that a teacher is, um, you know, due to be retiring shortly, or you know, um, looking at potentially uh, sort of career progression and looking at sort of moving to an advanced role or a promotion, you know, there are numerous reasons why people leave the current roles that they've got, uh, and I think it's kind of been aware of those uh, upcoming changes and then starting your recruitment process really proactively. So as soon as somebody kind of um, you know, just, uh, gets a promotion side of things, we need to be thinking, right, okay, that person's going to be coming out of role, they're due to start their next role in a month, you know, rather than waiting till that role is becoming vacant, you know, how can we sort of get a bit more proactive and making sure that we're already starting to sort of put those vacancies onto the school's website, making sure they're on the, the government websites, the local main uh, authority maintained websites, etc. So we can start proactively getting in front and, and recruiting people so that you know that potentially in best case scenario we can actually get a bit of a handover from that uh, sort of person that's actually advancing to the new role and you know they can kind of have a smoother onboarding experience and sort of less disruption for the pupils as well. So actually on- onboarding was going to be my next question and um, so you know how do we ensure that smooth transition from from application to employee? Yeah so uh, I mean every uh, HR system's got uh, onboardings um, sort of throughout the system so what we've tried to do is we try to always think about you know what are the um, sort of challenges for sort of recruitment teams how can we kind of make those processes more streamlined and, and sort of easier so we've got the situation where you can recruit an applicant and then literally at a click of a button you can convert that applicant to an employee and then through with um, we've got like a, a module called training and CPD where you can actually add a new starter to a course collection and then as soon as they gets access to the HR system as a new employee, all their induction materials automatically added onto their um, sort of self-serve portal so they can go through, make sure they're completing all the training, any policies and procedures you want them to be aware of, and making sure ultimately they're feeling valued. Because what we find is, you know, from when you actually, um, you know, sort of offer a role, it could be a couple of weeks to anything up to a couple of months uh, before they actually start. So, you know, kind of making sure that you've got that communication, making sure that they are sort of reading through the policies, making sure they're getting the training that they need so that they, as soon as they kind of start enroll, they've already got sort of, you know, that support and they know that they've obviously got um, the, the right level of communication is key, I think. So to be clear, because I, I know there might be a little bit of fear about this almost, you would advocate a position where schools and trusts should get a you know a, someone who's joining them um, onto their HR system as soon as possible before they start so yeah. that they can get a lot of this sort of admin done. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, for me, uh, obviously, as soon as they've, um, you know, accepted the role and, and they've kind of signed their contract, you know, in essence, they, they might not have officially started, but they are going to be an employee. And it's about starting off that uh, sort of communication and that sort of, you know, feeling of, you know, bringing them on board and actually giving a smooth onboarding experience that, you know, working with a, a stream, a sort of an, a HR system like every, you know, will really stream that process and make it really efficient and obviously making sure that your new starter feels valued and sort of becomes part of the the family of that school or trust as well. I think that's a really key point actually and I think from having been on you know the other end myself having that security almost of of knowing that the induction process is occurring uh, Mm. before you start you're not turning up cold on that first day hoping Mm. that someone's going to meet you. (laughs) I think that's the thing isn't it it's just you know it'd be nice if you can kind of have a little bit of a head start I know you know obviously education you, you get into that as, as a vocation you're obviously passionate about you know wanting to sort of you know be part of something and I think the sooner you can start you know sort of 
getting those people involved and actually helping them become part of your school or trust and feeling that that relationship's already started, I think is better because, like you say, you know, you don't want to go through a recruitment process, be offered a role and then be potentially left for sort of six to eight weeks or whatever before you start with no sort of communication or very little communication. I think it's all part and parcel of that uh, sort of smooth onboarding experience and actually getting you know, people bought into the vision of the trust and, and making sure that they feel the value is as uh, definitely warranted and, um, and sort of, uh, like I say, valued by the School of Trust. No, absolutely. So, okay, I think probably gone through most of the key points now, and it might be a good time to sort of bring out maybe three three key ideas. So three three takeaways, shall we say, for, for schools or, or trusts wanting to improve that recruitment process so if you three nuggets should we say to take away yeah i think for me that the three nuggets are making sure that you've got a a robust onboarding process so that you've got consistency if you're a multi-academy trust making sure that you've got one recruitment process that's kind of cascaded across all the academies within the trust Um, making sure that your central team's got the visibility to to sort of know exactly what's happening with each um, applicant and a full applicant tracking system so you know exactly where everyone is in the process and what's happening. I think that the next step for me would be uh, making sure that you've got that smooth onboarding experience so if you do convert someone to an employee that like I say you've got a robust way of communicating with them, making sure that you can send out any material uh, for smooth induction uh, and making sure that they've got all the policies and procedures and they feel you know like I say that they're part of you know the school or trust family. Uh, and I think that the other thing for me is um, making sure that you do have sort of robust ways of looking at uh, sort of absence trends and performance trends so that you are being more proactive rather than reactive at spotting trends for uh, professional development as well as obviously well-being. Yeah, I think definitely the pro- proactivity is a key one for me. Now, it's been brilliant, Matt. Thank you very much for that. Um, and thank you to everyone um, who's, who's been listening. If you found this valuable, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel. Uh, we'll be discussing uh, far more topics um, in upcoming podcasts. Um, and you can find us on all social media channels. So thank you very much.